Hello and welcome to another episode on the Labumba Pastor's blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Our lesson today continues our study of the Gospel of John. Its title is John 19, the Baptism of Christ. And our text to begin is John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. It says, So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, the title of this lesson might be a little misleading. When we hear of the baptism of Jesus, we think of him going to John the Baptist to be baptized. And that occurs at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, whereas now we are at the very culmination of his earthly ministry. There's a different baptism Jesus referred to for himself that he said he was sent to be baptized with. I want to discuss it today, and I hope that this discussion and study has the effect of making us more appreciative of the immeasurable grace given to us in Christ by what he suffered on our behalf and stir us up to give praise and honor to him and seek to glorify him with how we live our, our Christian life of responding to that grace that's been shed abroad in our hearts. It should also confront us with the true reality of what it means to follow Christ, which is a concept that has been so twisted by false teaching. If we examine scripture, we find the truth about what Jesus tells us it means to follow him. We begin with verses 10 and 11 in John 19 because they remind us that at this moment, Jesus was in the exact position God had destined and purposed him for. This was not victory for Satan. This was not victory for Jesus' enemies among the Jews. This was God's purpose and plan. Therefore, Jesus says rightly to Pilate that Pilate wouldn't have any authority over him at all, except it had been given to him by God. Peter spoke of it this way when he preached at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. It says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This was the baptism Jesus was assigned. When we think of baptism, we think of baptism in water. But the New Testament speaks about different baptisms. John the Baptist predicted Jesus would baptize believers like this. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, we read, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The word baptism means to be immersed or submerged in something. We're told that Jesus baptizes us with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and with fire that purifies us. Neither of these things is seen, but their results or fruits are very evident. Jesus spoke this way of his own baptism of God's purpose for his life in Luke chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. It says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, 
and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. What is Jesus referring to here? This is long after he was baptized by John the Baptist. He's speaking here of his death. This is the moment we find him at this point in our study of the Gospel of John in chapter 19. For this reason he had come. He had borne witness to the truth. He had guarded those given to him by the Father. He had taken on the illnesses and sorrows of the people. He had proclaimed repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now came the baptism he longed to accomplish, which was offering himself to take away the sins of the world. There was a time where James and John came seeking a material blessing from Jesus that had to do with their perception about what Christ would do. In Mark chapter 10, from verse 35 to verse 40, we read this interaction. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Here again, we read Jesus describe his suffering as his baptism and predict that James and John would share in his baptism through their own suffering. James was the first of the apostles to be killed. He was killed, the book of Acts tells us that King Herod killed him with the sword. We know John was eventually exiled by the Romans. I've dialogued with people who dismiss the suffering of Christ and the apostles and early church members by saying those were things for Jesus and the apostles. But now Christians are not supposed to suffer. I tell you, that idea is completely contrary to what the Bible says. Everyone who follows Christ follows him through baptism into his death. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, we read, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If you are truly born again by faith in Christ, you have been baptized into his death. Paul writes later in Romans, that we are then heirs with Christ, provided we also share in this with him. In Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, we read, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. There are not two roads, as some teachers describe, where Jesus took the hard route and overcame every difficulty, so then you and I could walk on the fictional other road where there's no problems and we basically get to live for ourselves. No, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. An imitator is someone who does things the same 
as the person they are imitating. John wrote this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. What does that mean? If you're a follower of Christ, truly, you ought to follow in the same path that Christ walked and do things the way Christ did them. And Jesus tells us this is what it means for every person who wishes to follow him. In Matthew 16, verse 24, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus does not say that he took up his cross so we don't have to take up ours. He says any person who wants to follow him must also take up his cross. If you have believed these statements about Jesus suffering in his life so you don't have to suffer in yours, or that Jesus died to make you wealthy and healthy and eliminate your problems, I hope these passages of scripture will enlighten you to see that those statements are lies that come from the father of lies. You may ask why people would say such things when they clearly go against scripture. And the answer is that people will believe what they wish was true. That's what the statement about people getting them, themselves teachers who have itchy ears is referring to. There are teachers who teach what they know people want to hear. None of us wants to suffer, so naturally we are inclined to statements that tell us we won't suffer and everything will be good. This is where we see once again how important it is to inform our perspective with God's word. The other glaring problem with these ideas about Jesus eliminating suffering from believers' lives is that there have always been believers suffering for Christ throughout church history. Today, right now, there are atheist regimes arresting and executing Christians for their faith. There are Muslim countries arresting and beheading Christians. If what these prosperity teachers say is true, then hasn't Christ failed those followers of his who are suffering so much for his name? But he has not failed at all when you consider what the Bible tells us we've truly been delivered from, which is the consequences of our sin, eternal death, and the power of sin to control us. What has always distinguished true believers from those around them is that true believers turn away from sin. Peter writes this way about it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. It says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The world didn't find the Christians strange because the Christians had no problems. The world found it strange that the Christians didn't partake in their sinful practices. Jesus warned people to consider the cost of following him. In Luke 14, verses 28 to verse 33, it says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, 
will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet who comes meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Don't be deceived. As the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 5, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old you is dead and buried. You've been raised to walk in newness of life with Christ. You follow him. Your assignment will be unique to you, but it will come with a cross to carry. Our Lord carried the cross for us all, and we should be so grateful and even consider it ourselves to be unworthy to be appointed by him to have such a assignment as taking up a cross and following him. God bless you all.